scriptures from the text of uh, Titus 3, 1 to 7. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, and to do, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle towards everyone. At one time, we were too foolish and disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness of our love and God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing and the rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generally through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. The word of God. Great. How are y'all doing this morning? <laughs> Great. My name is Brody. Let me take the mask off. My name is Brody. I'm an intern here with Oak Church, and uh, I want to welcome all of you, and uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, we're going to be continuing our series on the fruit of the Spirit. Um, we're kind of rounding the corner. We have uh, gentleness today, and self-control will be next time. Um, and it's been really great to, to be able to like explore and walk through all of these fruits of the Spirit. Um, they've got me thinking in lots of ways, um, and I hope that they are doing the same for you. So today, we are examining the fruit of gentleness. And I feel like the first step in like everybody's process, as, as people have preached through this series, everyone's first step is, like, what's the first thing I think of? And let's go from there. So that's how I thought we'd tackle today. The first thing that I think of when I think of gentleness is not usually like some kind of highfalutin Christian virtue. Like it's not usually something very pious. Um, initially, I thought of that game Operation where you, you're doing surgery for some reason as a child, and you have to kind of get the plastic out of this man's body. Uh, or, and if you, if you fail, a buzzer will go off, and it'll be very disorienting and stressful to a young child. Uh, but we don't need to talk about that anymore. Um, <laughs> and uh, I talked to my wife Gwen about this too, and she said that when she thought of gentleness, uh, she thought of how this was like a thing online a few years ago. If you give a golden retriever an egg, just like put an egg in their mouth, they'll just hold it and they won't break it and then they'll keep it safe. Uh, and like no one knows why. And it doesn't really work with other dogs. It's just a thing that golden retrievers do. So that's what she thought of. Fun fact about golden retrievers, but not particularly helpful in, you know, the formation of the spiritual person and, you know, understanding the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but there it is. <laughs> So when I, when I imagine gentleness, um, I also thought at first about like every movie about a horse where there's this wild, dangerous, untamable horse and a wild, dangerous, untamable teenager. And, you know, they form some miraculous bond together and they both end up bringing out the gentle side of each other. <laughs> I, I kind of thought I would have a hard time finding examples of this. Like I thought this was just like a trend I imagined, but there were more. So this is just this is just some of them. Uh, I also my sister was like really into horses when I was young, so I think this just like took up a lot of space in my childhood. So 
that was like a lot of what I thought about with gentleness. My, my favorite version of this phenomenon is uh, Buckbeak from Harry Potter. Uh, I don't have time to explain Buckbeak. So if you haven't seen Harry Potter, go watch Harry Potter. And also, if you are offended at me referencing Harry Potter in a Christian sermon, we want to be sensitive to that. So please feel free to email any complaints to just chris at oakdurham.org <laughs> and, and be as like as vehement as you as you wish. That's no problem. So I think like having done this like survey of the landscape, gentleness seems to be a little bit of a shallow word in our culture. It seems to kind of be if you if you Google gentleness and just like peruse Google, it kind of seems to be reserved for how we deal with baby birds, uh, baby people and like breaking bad news. And it's, you know, that's kind of the boundaries of, of how we think of gentleness in our culture. And it doesn't usually go much deeper than that. And it kind of seems like gentleness and strength or gentleness and power tend to exist on opposite ends of a continuum, right? Like they're, they're complete different sides of this dichotomy. Um, our poets will tell us, do not go gentle into that good night. And our tech entrepreneurs will tell us, move fast and break things, which, wow, they did. <laughs> they have moved fast and broken things, uh, especially considering how this week went for them. Um, and, and yeah, so I think we can see how that's going. Uh, and the message that we tend to hear is, be strong instead of gentle. Gentleness is for babies and wounded birds, and that's, that's about it. Um, and I think that if we take a closer look at gentleness um, as a virtue and as a character trait, uh, especially in scripture, we'll start to see how that dichotomy, that opposition, is really far from the truth. So consider just the examples that we gave there, baby birds, baby people, and breaking bad news. What they all have in common is that they're all instances in which one is in a position of power, that could either harm or support another. And there are instances in which your agency can make a difference for better or for worse. And I think that's part of the key to understanding how we approach gentleness as Christians. Several of these fruit of the spirit that we've examined together, um, like joy and peace and patience, these things can be understood as how the spirit leads people to engage with and react to powers beyond their control. By these sorts of virtues, we learn to adapt to the complex and confusing matrix of relationships and circumstances that we happen to find ourselves in. Right? This is how a Christian responds to the world that they live in. But gentleness is different. Gentleness relates to how we use our own power when we have it. It relates to the sort of world that we will make for others. There's a theologian and philosopher named Dallas Willard who wrote that a kingdom, the idea of a kingdom, can be understood as the realm of one's effective will. Um, philosophers just try to make things more complicated than they need to be. So in other words, that means a kingdom is the space where what you want to happen can happen. And when we pray that God's kingdom come, we are praying for a world in which the things that God wants to happen are what in fact happen and nothing more. 
God's kingdom is the reign of what God wants, where God's choices make an impact on the world. Um, Dallas Willard wrote this amazing paraphrase of the Lord's Prayer, you know, the Our Father Prayer. And we don't have time to read the whole thing, but it's here. Uh, this actually we dug up from an old, old uh, like oak series a long time ago. But if you can read the fourth line from the end, it says, um, because you are the one in charge. That's his paraphrase of thy kingdom come. Right? When we say thy kingdom come, thy will be done um, on earth as it is in heaven, the way that Dallas Willard paraphrases that is by pointing to God as in charge. Basically, this just means that God can make decisions that have actual impact and actual change in the world. And while the realm of that sort of decision-making ability can't be measured when it comes to God, and in God's kingdom, you can't delineate it with boundaries. It, it encompasses everything. We'll find that within that kingdom of God's, within God's kingdom, we will have our own kingdom. And we will have our own realm where our choices make a difference, right? And where we can have um, effective change on the things around us. Powerful people will have a broad kingdom where they can make decisions that affect a lot of people and a lot of circumstances. Powerless or disenfranchised people will have a limited range of their kingdom, often a criminally limited range of their kingdom where what they choose makes a difference. But you'll find that no one has no kingdom. We will all find a space where our decisions impact the world around us and the people with whom we share it. The virtue of gentleness invites us to consider how we use our power, the realm of our kingdom, in a way that honors the value and experiences of the people affected by our choices. Here's how Paul describes it in today's text from Titus. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. This is Paul instructing Titus on how to instruct the people under his leadership on how they should use their power. And if we can pay some special attention to the things that are of primary consideration here, I think it will reveal a lot about the way Paul is thinking about the virtue of gentleness. So this first thing uh, to slam or sorry to be ready to do whatever is good at a moment's notice are we ready to use our power and our choices to enact goodness in the world part of that means understanding what goodness looks like and having it within yourself through years of proximity to the goodness of god and the goodness of creation and then being able to enact it at a moment's notice Next thing he says is to slander no one. Are our acts of speech unjustly harming people? And this is kind of complicated in the Christian life because we are called to enact powerful speech acts. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17, the Lord commands Israel, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. We are called to speak out against evil, but we're also called to be conscious of the harm that our speech, whether it's 
against evil or just in our daily lives can do to people. We can say the wrong thing in the right way and the right thing in the wrong way and still end up hurting people, which is against our call. This is the result of speech without gentleness. The next thing Paul says is to be peaceable and considerate and always to be gentle toward everyone. One of the most puzzling and challenging features of the character of Jesus and the character of the person to whom the Spirit's been given access is the need for compassion and consideration toward everyone, no matter what. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, Jesus says, You've heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God uses God's power and agency to care for the needs of all people, even if they're directly opposed to God's kingdom. In the same way, we're called to use our power and agency to do good and and never to harm the people in our worlds, even if they're just the worst. And sometimes you'll encounter people that are just the worst. And this is why the virtue of gentleness and so much about life with Christ can be so challenging and disorienting and confusing. Jesus, just earlier in Matthew's gospel, actually instructs his followers that when an oppressive Roman guard slaps them or forces them to walk a mile, that they shouldn't retaliate with violence, but that they should turn the other cheek and walk the extra mile. Those phrases have become cliche in our culture, but that's kind of scandalous to suggest. This is a confusing and, and strange exhortation to fully see the humanity in all people even if those people represent an oppressive regime. There is, there's a really complicated example of this that we live with every day in Durham. Um, and that's the problem of gentrification in our city. We're, we're quickly seeing our neighborhoods push people out due to ballooning home prices and investment coming from out of town developers. And what ends up happening is that many people can no longer afford to live in our communities. And there's not enough housing for people who need it, especially not affordable housing. This is a big problem, and I'm not going to pretend that I can simplify it in this example. But there may be a case in your neighborhood where someone that you love, a neighbor, is pushed out due to rising taxes, rising home prices, pressures from the housing market. And you may not know what happens to them. You may not know where they end up. And someone else will move into that house. And maybe they'll pay a wildly high price for it, like an unthinkably high price for it. And they'll fix it up and they'll make it look really nice. And you're put in this position of how you relate to them, right? Because they represent something that is really heartbreaking and complicated and and frustrating but they're your neighbor. And the Christian virtue of gentleness will 
confusingly and frustratingly invite us to love them like a neighbor, to treat them like a neighbor without minimizing or ignoring the larger impact that they're having and, and the trend that they're a part of and the powers and structures at play that are often doing damage to our neighborhoods. And so if, if within yourself, you have the strength to treat them like a neighbor, to love them like a neighbor, you will be exercising the Christian virtue of gentleness. And it's weird. It's confusing. It's, it's, it's hard. And another challenging thing about gentleness is that it's always gauged by the person under power, the, the person who's being acted upon. All across the Bible, God, whose, whose kingdom and, and realm of effective will is endless and doesn't have any boundaries, God is constantly hearing out for the cries of the oppressed and adapting and taking action. And when we are in positions of power, if someone tells us that our actions are harming them, it's not up to us to question them or disbelieve them or ignore them. I think about uh, my dog, Mia. Mia is a puppy that we got at the beginning of the pandemic, and she is not gentle. And uh, in our household, like the realm of her kingdom is really broad, like broader than anyone else's who lives in our house. And when she was really young, she had to learn what our vet called bite control which is just something I think every creature should know already. But basically the idea is that, you know, when she was in her litter of puppies uh, as a really, really young puppy, she could play with her siblings and they'd like play bite and she could bite with a certain amount of force. But that force is really, really painful to people. So the vet told us that whenever um, Mia bit us and it hurt, we had to like yelp and whine and kind of make a big deal out of it. Uh, basically, you know, outcry to those ex exercising power over us, um, speaking truth to power. Uh, and, and, and she could, like, after communicating with her that it hurt, she would adapt and she would learn to be more gentle. <laughs> Gwen's a little skeptical that that's happened. Um, I think it's happened a little bit. You know, it, it used to be extremely painful when she bit us, and now it's just very painful. So... <laughs> She has she is hearing the cries of those under her kingdom and she is adapting to be more gentle and virtuous based on what they say. And so we need to adopt a similar attitude as Mia. If we have the position of power, if we have uh, a realm of our effective will where we can exercise authority over someone through our choices and they tell us that it's harming them, we have to be ready to adapt. That's, that's a key part of the Christian virtue of gentleness. In your life, this may be employees or this may be uh, people you interact with um, online or you, know, you can think of any number of ways that your choices could have an impact on people. All of these instructions from Paul about how we are to use our power and honor the dignity of all people these are all founded on how God has used God's power throughout time. Here's how Paul follows up on all of these instructions. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived by, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. 
He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. His instructions to act with gentleness are founded upon the way that God has acted toward us. How has God used power? How did God exercise divine strength? God took a good look at the people influenced by God's power and had compassion on them and entered into their story with all the gentleness of a poor refugee baby wrapped up and sleeping in a manger. That baby grew up under an oppressive regime, seeing people for the image of God within them, no matter who they are, healing them and teaching them to live in the new kingdom and and finding as his teaching examples, the little birds of the air and the flowers of the field. He was executed by the state in a death that all told mysteriously became the greatest exhibition of power, strength and triumph that the world has ever seen. And now here we are, a community formed by his gentle love. And so now we're asked to be gentle towards others, to see them for their dignity and value and the image of God within them, the way that God has seen us. And it's no coincidence that this all-powerful God is also the most gentle character in our world because it takes a lot of strength to be gentle. Consider the difference between um, the strength that it takes to be like a power lifter and the strength that it takes to be really good at yoga. I'm neither, so I feel like I can talk, you know, as an as a objective observer. It's impressive to pick up a really heavy thing and slam it back down on the ground. Yeah, it, it is. But it, I think it's a whole lot more impressive. And it's a whole other level to have the balance and strength and grace that it takes to, to lift yourself and hold all of these dynamic positions that yogis do, while also having the easiness of breath that it takes to do yoga well. It requires a whole different sort of strength to be gentle. And the same is true spiritually. Right? It's a strength that makes this sort of gentleness hard and challenging and a lifelong project. And so that strength will take some intention from us. And so I want to just examine a couple of ways that we can grow in that sort of strength. The first is that we will grow stronger in gentleness when we look at and trust God. Like we've talked about before in this series, these fruit are the Spirit's fruit. They're not ours. They're wrapped up in the character of God. And seeing and receiving that character is going to help us spread that fruit to others. And part of the importance of this is that we can grow in our desire and ability to be gentle and compassionate. Like any acquired skill or acquired taste, we may not be good at this at first. And we may not have the desire to do it. It's hard to want to do things you're not good at. But seeing God for the way that God acts in gentleness and compassion can help us trigger and grow in the desire 
for gentleness as well as the ability for gentleness. Second, we will grow stronger in gentleness together. There are going to be days when you do not have the capacity for gentleness. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian or how diligent you've been in your piety. There, there will be days when you'll be tempted to use your power in harmful ways. And we will need one another to support each other, to be gentle. But also, I mean, this applies to loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, and self-controlling. Like, this is the sort of thing that we need each other for all the time. People are good at relying on one another. We've done it for generations. We are good at being there for one another. We're good at helping one another become more a part of God's kingdom. In an increasingly isolated world, we need to take some intention to lean into that, to to trust one another and to ask for one another when we need help. And third, we grow stronger with practice. A little attention to the process of growing in Christ-likeness will go a long way. All of the typical practices of the Christian life, like prayer and scripture reading, and all of the other things that we like to roll our eyes at when our Sunday school teacher forced us to do it, these are all exercises in deeply seeing God, deeply seeing yourself, and deeply seeing others. And the more that we can learn to do that through these practices— the easier it will be to act with compassion and gentleness. I will say here, though, that you don't need the sort of discipline or cognitive ability or or privilege that it takes to take the time and practice personal piety in order to be Christ-like and gentle. The virtues of Christ and the fullness of life in Christ are available to all through God's Spirit, regardless of focus, neurological ability, life circumstances, or anything else. And if we can lean into those practices and trust others as they do the same, then we can grow in gentleness and in the strength it takes to be compassionate. Now, before closing, I just want to point to one little word in today's passage that we easily could have gone right by. And it's that first word, remind. Paul tells Titus, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. The the point of that sentence, the verb in that sentence is remind. Would we be a people that is constantly reminding itself and others of how we are called to use our power? God has shown God's self to be a gentle God, never sacrificing the dignity and particular beauty of each person for the expedient pursuit of some goal, but always leaning in close and honoring people. Would we grow in both our desire and our ability to do the same? We pray with me. Oh, gentle God, we are trusting you. You have shown yourself time and again to be trustworthy. And we ask that in whatever ways we we need to learn, that we would learn to be trustworthy. That we would be people who, when given power, 
will use it to enact goodness. That we will be people who remember your character and virtues in, in our moments of authority. We pray that we will spend our time under power and without power growing in the exercises of gentleness. And as confusing and challenging and sometimes problematic as that can be, we pray that we'll be there for one another and that we will remember and remind each other of the beauty of gentleness. In Jesus' name, amen.